Welcome to the CME CE podcast. Let's talk MRSA. Twenty frequently asked questions. Please review the complete CME CE information at www.mrsa20faqs.com. This podcast is designed to clarify frequently asked questions in serious MRSA infections that pose a threat to patient safety and add to the healthcare burden. Episodes released weekly are structured into four learning modules. Learners can apply for credit after reviewing each learning module. This is the fourth learning module, Applying Antimicrobial Stewardship Principles. There are five episodes in this learning module. This is the first episode. In this episode, Dr. James Lewis from University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio, Texas, shares his clinical experience. Thank you, Dr. Lewis, for joining us in these discussions. What we would like to discuss over the next few episodes is the role of antimicrobial stewardship in preventing and managing MRSA infections. Part of antimicrobial stewardship is ensuring that antimicrobials are used appropriately to not only treat an infection effectively, but also prevent the emergence of resistance. What we would like to discuss in this episode is how stewardship tactics can be applied to the management of MRSA infections. The first issue we would like to discuss is the importance of identifying the pathogen when an infection is suspected. So Dr. Lewis, what is the importance of submitting samples for culture if an MRSA infection is suspected? You know, I think that this is really of massive importance in taking care of these patients. We know that Staph aureus is a huge problem across a variety of infectious diseases and that Staph aureus in 2010 in many settings is at least 50% MRSA, if not more. And because of that, and because of the fact that it has been shown in two or three separate studies, Chang in Medicine in 2003, um, the Duke study in dialysis patients that was published in CID in 2007, looking at MSSA bacteremia, we know that the beta-lactams are better than vancomycin, namely cefazolin and oxacillin or nafcillin. So we know that those are the best drugs for MSSA. They're better than vanc. But you don't know if you've got MSSA or MRSA unless you submit that culture. So really, because everyone is so worried about MRSA, and rightly so, there's a large amount of vancomycin used empirically. What the cultures allow you to do in this setting is to de-escalate down to the beta-lactam, which is clearly the more effective agent if the infection is due to MSSA. Okay. So in many cases, it can take several hours, even days, before a microbiology lab will come back with culture results to confirm the presence or absence of MRSA. In the absence of culture results, when should MRSA coverage be included in empiric antimicrobial therapy? You know, I think that any time that Staph aureus is in the differential diagnosis or is a usual pathogen in whatever disease state it is you're dealing with, in 2010, you are obliged to provide MRSA coverage until you get your cultures back. Because again, you're dealing with 50 to 60% of your Staph aureus isolates being MRSA. We know from multiple, multiple, multiple studies now that inadequate empiric therapy results in bad outcomes. And so you do not want to miss up front. So if you have Staph aureus high on your differential for bugs that are likely to cause whatever it is you're treating, then I think that in 2010, you're really obliged to provide MRSA coverage until you get your cultures back. Okay. So let, let's switch our focus a little bit and talk a little bit about antibiograms. Um, an antibiogram can be a powerful tool when selecting initial antimicrobial therapy. 
Can you briefly describe how an antibiogram can assist in selecting appropriate empiric therapy? You know, I think that antibiograms are worth their weight in gold in most institutions because it really does provide you a look at what is being isolated from patients in that institution. And if the, the institution is developing its antibiogram in concordance with the CLSI guidelines on how to develop antibiograms, then they should only be using the first isolate from each patient for a one-year period. So with that being said, those are actually the bugs that are, most, are, are growing from these patients initially. Those are the bugs that you're most worried about covering with empiric therapy. So given that, the, having the antibiogram in front of you, knowing what your MRSA rate is, knowing how common VRE is, knowing what your problem gram-negative pathogens are, and knowing what their susceptibility profiles look like are absolutely critical in assisting you in selecting appropriate empiric therapy. And as we've mentioned before in this discussion, you don't want to be wrong up front. So having your hands on a current antibiogram, understanding what's going on in your institution, and using that antibiogram to help you select an appropriate initial therapy is absolutely critical to the management of your patients. Now, antimicrobial stewardship often promotes de-escalation of therapy. Can you briefly describe what is de-escalation of therapy and when would, you, would clinicians consider it? You know, de-escalation, I think, has become an absolutely massive buzzword. And really what, what it's code for or lingo for at this point is really the need to step from whatever broad-spectrum agent you're using as your empiric therapy. And oftentimes, it's not broad-spectrum agent singular. It's broad-spectrum agents, plural where you're using piperacillin-tazo, you're using ciprofloxacin, you're using vancomycin. You've basically got bazookamycin and godzillacillin all over the place on this patient. And so when you get your cultures back, it is at that point in time, especially if the patient is improving and you feel like you have a reasonable grasp of what is going on in this patient, to really narrow your spectrum down to the optimal agents that are giving you the least amount of collateral damage that you can possibly have. A great example of this is the aforementioned MRSA that we've talked so much about. You start with VANC empirically, but you narrow or de-escalate down to that beta-lactam, either cefazolin or oxacillin or nafcillin, when you get the culture back and it's MSSA. I think that is a, a golden example of de-escalation, and I think it's one of the best things that we can do for our patients because, again, in that situation, we know that, we know that oxacillin, nafcillin, and cefazolin all outperform vancomycin for MSSA. So not only are you de-escalating from a spectrum standpoint, you're also making sure that the patient is receiving optimal therapy, which is, again, another key tenant of antimicrobial stewardship. Now, if a patient is doing well on a particular regimen, Clinicians may be hesitant to change their antibiotic course. So, so what is the argument to convince these clinicians to de-escalate therapy? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think that there is there's anything out there that antimicrobial stewardship teams run into that generates more frustration than this concept right here. And it is the mindset of many clinicians who are taking care of patients of, you don't mess with a winning team. And unfortunately, we are going to have to get around this mindset. And I think there are various ways to do it. I think one of the best ways to do it are to really use evidence-based medicine. Use the evidence that's available to you to show that streamlining or de-escalating or whatever you want to call it results in 
equivalent or in some cases better outcomes. I would argue that for MRSA, you can clearly show that de-escalating results in not just equivalent outcomes, but better outcomes by going to the beta-lactam for MSSA. In the gram-negative world, we know that leaving broad-spectrum coverage out there, again, the Chastre paper from JAMA in 2003 is a great example of this, 8 versus 15 days of therapy. All you got by leaving the drugs out there for 15 days were, was colonization with more resistant organisms, and we have seen this over and over and over. And the national guidelines are really evolving in such a way that they are strongly encouraging de-escalation, whether it's for pneumonia, whether it's for bacteremia, whether whatever. You know, and so using the guidelines that are available to you as evidence and using the references that the guidelines use to come up with those recommendations as evidence, I think really it's key and it really is of utmost importance that we be as evidence-based as possible. And I think that gives you a lot of credibility when you approach clinicians and say, hey, this is the state of the evidence. We are not going to hurt the patient by streamlining the therapy. We know what they've grown. We've got our culture's re results back. It's time to do this in order to try and preserve our antibiotics and to optimize our patient outcomes. Well, that, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Dr. Lewis, for sharing your insights on this important topic. And please join us again for additional discussions on how to address the MRSA crisis. Thank you.